Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Revelation 4, verses 9 through 11. And I'm going back and I'm starting here and I'm picking up a theme that we simply have to get a hold of because it's all the way through the book of Revelation. I've I've talked about it, I've alluded to it on a number of occasions and uh, I want to pick it up today. Heavenly Father, may the word open to us and our hearts to the word. We do not sit passively or indifferently in the presence of your word for it is your word. These pages are God-breathed and we thank you for them. And so, Lord, we would hear with faith that which is true and that which is really your word, and we would obey it and walk in it. And I pray for the grace to speak your word faithfully in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. We are in the throne room of God. We are, John is showing us the picture that Daniel uh, began with the Ancient of Days, and we are seeing the transfer of that book that is in the Ancient of Days' right hand. It is the prophecies of the end. It is the prophecies particularly of Jesus Christ as he comes this time as the Lion of God to bring just, justice and judgment, to gather the, his righteous, and to deal with those who hate him. He is not coming as a, as a lamb the next time. Uh, he is not come at least to those who do not know him as their Savior. He will always be to us our lamb, but he will be to the world a lion. And the prophecies we see handed to him, for he is the one who's worthy. Well, just prior to this transfer of that book, this statement is made, just speaking of the worship that goes on toward God the Father as he's seated in that heavenly courtroom. Verse 9. And when the living creatures, those four beings with the different uh, faces uh, around him, give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, as they do that, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And read that next phrase with me. And will cast their crowns before the throne saying, let's go right through, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Many hymns and songs include the idea of casting our crowns before the Lord. You saw that picture. Apparently those elders, and I'll define again who they are, They took the crowns off their head and they threw them. They threw them at the foot of the throne of God. Threw them on the ground. Why did they do that? Many hymns and songs include the idea of casting our crowns before the Lord. And I've often sung those words without recognizing what an amazing statement I was making. I mean, how many songs do we know that talk about us casting our crowns, throwing our crowns, bowing down and throwing our crowns before him? It's in many, many songs. In an earlier study, we identified these 24 elders as the human representatives of the Old and New Covenant. Daniel saw a throne set up in the courtroom of the Ancient of Days, but John is the one who tells us who's sitting on those thrones. 
But even John leaves us with some unanswered questions. The first is, why is anyone other than Jesus wearing a crown? I mean, does that strike you as a little odd? What are they doing with crowns on their heads in the presence of Jesus? Take that thing off. After all, he's the one to whom authority has been given. If crowns represent governing authority, and they do, then what is a group of humans doing with these symbols on their heads? Second, why do they take them off and throw them on the ground? What are they saying by this gesture, and why does it still need to be said? I mean, in heaven, they're still taking their crown off and throwing it. You could see where someone might do that on earth as a, as a gesture of submission, but why in heaven? And third, if the, the 24 elders receive crowns, should other believers like us also expect to receive a crown in the age to come? Isn't that an odd concept? Look at your neighbor and kind of look up at their head and say, hmm, crown, huh? Yeah, isn't it? You look at the, yeah. No comments. No hair comments. Bad taste. All right. Who are these elders? I, we've said it before, but I want to just remind you. The 12 of these, I'm rather certain. I mean, the truth is, no one knows. But I believe the, the evidence is pretty strong, I think. that they, The 12 represent the true believers of Israel, and 12 represent the faithful church. By having them seated together, the unity of God's people is affirmed. So you have these, this is the council of heaven. The Ancient of Days takes his seat and thrones, it says, were set up. Not just chairs for bystanders. Thrones were set up. Multiple. That's what Daniel says. John comes along and says there's 24 of those thrones. And seated on them with crowns on their head are these elders. Men and women from the, I believe, from the Old and the New Covenant, from both covenants, will be joined into one new family. In heaven, remember, this is like Paul's olive tree. Now, for those that, that didn't believe, the branches were broken off. But the tree and its trunk that goes all the way back, frankly, to uh, Adam and Eve, that men and women of true faith in the living God, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right on through, and now we who believe in Christ have been grafted in, even we Gentiles who are not naturally born of the family of Israel, we are grafted into the household of faith. We are spiritually part of the Jewish people. Somebody say Lachaim. There you go. This same truth is expressed in Revelation 21. I showed you that when we went through it last time. You can check it later. The new Jerusalem will have 12 gates named for the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 foundation stones named for the 12 apostles of Christ. And for that matter, it is a city four square. All right. <laughs> if you get the right version, it is. Okay. <laughs> One interesting note I found in my, in my Bible's footnote, it says, angels are never said to be given crowns. There is no passage in the Bible that speaks of angels having crowns, though believers are and then a series of references to where that's true. Exactly who these people are is uncertain. Who it is who will be sitting on those thrones, which one of the old covenant and the new covenant people are sitting on the thrones, Jesus said that it wasn't for him to give. He didn't know that only the Father would decide who would sit on those thrones. I give you the reference there. It's the Matthew 21. 
But I believe I know at least two names. Ha ha. Wouldn't you know it? Shell would figure out a couple of the names in that seat. Why don't you look with me at Matthew 17? Let's just take a peek. I'll bet I'm right. Matthew 17. Because if these are people who are going to counsel the Lord, it's interesting to see that two of them are here counseling Jesus. Matthew 17, verse 1, is the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. You see, he has walked sinlessly and in perfect righteousness, so literally death has no power over him. And he is, he's, what is happening is he's, he's stepping into to his glory without dying, and could have done so, could have left us right there, but did not. Why do you think he did not? He turned his face to Jerusalem, it says. What a powerful statement. Here you are. You could just step across and go right back into glory. But he knows what's, at the, he knows what's waiting for him. And he refuses this and goes back down the mountain to die hideously for us. Boy, what a savior. All right. He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun. His garments became white as light as they will indeed when we see him in glory. And behold, Moses and Elijah. Look at that. We see, I think those are, the two, those are the two names that I think will be there. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. They're counseling him. Moses represents what? The law, the first five books of Moses. And Elijah represents the prophets, correct. The law and the prophets. These two brothers are counseling him about why he must die. Why he must not come now to heaven. Why he, must not go, why he must go back. He's not unwilling, but they are there to strengthen him. Peter's, Peter's well, I won't go on. Peter starts, you know Peter. Um, he wants to camp there and uh, set up booths and everything. Yeah. Why do they cast their crowns? Now we're going to go back to, to, the, to the, our theme. Why do they cast their crowns? By taking these symbols of governing authority and casting them before Jesus, I believe that these elders, who I think are 24 glorified human beings, I think Moses and Elijah will be two of them. We can guess a little later who, might be, who else might be sitting on those thrones. We don't know. The Father will decide. But why do they take their crowns off and cast them? What, what are they expressing? I see two, three things. First of all, they're expressing humility. Basically, they're saying, this crown really belongs to you. All authority belongs to you, not to us. It's not, I don't have a right to this crown. All authority is yours. And they give him back his crown, as it were. Secondly, it expresses submission. I take off my crown in your presence for you are my king. I'm no king in your presence. And they put it at his feet. You're the only one in our presence that has a right to a crown. Submission. And finally, service. 
I place this crown at your disposal. I choose to use my authority to serve others, not myself. I am your servant master. Guide me. So much could be said right there. Think of the attitude that when we are given authority, when we are given authority, this is the heart of a man or woman who has authority and relates properly to it. First of all, saying, God, all authority is yours. I have no authority that stems from myself. This is a gift. This is a gift. You have simply given me this authority, but you have a, it's not intrinsic to me. I don't have a right to rule others. I'm not so smart or so good or so wise or powerful. It, all authority is yours. And I take my crown off, and Lord, you are my king. People who do not have a king and yet are in authority are tyrants, aren't they? People either take and use their authority for themselves. They use their authority to get money, sex. They use whatever authority they have to better themselves personally. Some of you work for such people. You will see governments and leaders and kings around the world who use their authority simply for their own betterment. Others use their authority to better and care for those who have been put in their care. Do you see the difference? We see here, even in heaven, these elders expressing that very heart. The crown really is your crown I take it off my head in your presence and I submit to you as my king. You're the true king. And I place this crown at your disposal. I am here to serve as you love your people and care for them. I am simply part of that process. It is not for me to be bettered. It is for me to serve your people. In heaven, humans still have the power to choose. I think that's an important thing to note. You're not going to become a robot when you die. You still have the power to choose or your worship would be meaningless. Worship without freedom is no worship at all. You can create some little wind-up doll that, that does that, but it has no value. There is no glory in that worship. There's no meaning in that worship. You and I will have the freedom to choose. So what I, what I want to say is, this is not some atomic, automatic process where these, these little kings on their thrones have to, oh, because they have to. The gun's at their head. and They have no control over themselves. They are doing this willingly. This is, a, this is worship. They're choosing to do this. In heaven, humans still have the power to choose or our worship would be meaningless. Yet because of our, our essential choices, now for human beings, our choices about Jesus have already been made and tested here on earth. And because the influence of the flesh and the tempter are gone, sin doesn't happen there. It's never going to be like they use their freedom to say, well, I don't want to worship you anymore because they've already had that choice, already been tested in that choice. You've been tested in it. And you've said, here on earth, in the middle of the flesh and the devil, assaulting you like crazy, you said, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord. I hate it when I lead. 
I hate the things of the world. They bring death to me in the long run. Jesus is the Lord. So the deep attitudes are set. When you step across, it's not, not like that freedom of ours isn't going to lead us to sin. It's not like, oh man, I, you mean I could be another Lucifer? No, you're not going there. The choices have been made here on this planet. And yet you're still free. It's amazing as it may sound, even now in his resurrection, pardon me, the flesh and the tempter are gone, sin doesn't happen, yet we will still be expressing Listen, humility, submission, and service. We will still be expressing those things in heaven forever. In fact, as amazing as it may sound, even now in his resurrected lordship, Jesus is humble, submitted, and serving. Does that sound blasphemous? Jesus Christ is humble now in his resurrected glory. He is submitted now. So clearly, submission and humility have nothing to do with inferiority, do they? He is fully God. See, we got to get this clean in our head because whenever we think of humility or submission or something, we always mean some powerful dude dominating some weak person. You're either so stupid you let him you know, run you or something like that. So for us in this sinful world, these words are dangerous words which we are very uncomfortable with. But I want you to see that at essence, they are eternal values in the heart of God. And since you and I are being formed into his image, Romans 8, 29, these qualities are being formed in us and will always be part of us as well. You and I will always submit, humble ourselves, and serve. Imagine that. We're going to be like Jesus forever. I want to just, you, you may say, where did he get that? At least I hope you do. I hope once in a while you go, wow. Uh, let me just show you. 1 Corinthians. A couple of quick passages. I don't want to delay here a long time, but I want you to see that I did not haul that out of the air. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. I'm going down to a later one, but I want you to feel the context, so I'll just start reading while you're turning there. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man also came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And let me tell you what I think. I think every human the righteous and the unrighteous will be resurrected. I mean, is it clear? So when it says all, he's not kidding. It's not just all Christians. He's saying Christ virtually has defeated death for the human race, just as Adam brought death to the entire human race. Now, we'll get to that another time. Now, that's good news and bad news. But each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits. He's the first, he's the first one of the harvest to be picked, as it were, and go into and, and rise into heaven in his glorified resurrected body. But there's a whole lot more of the harvest, that's us, coming along after him. After, those, uh, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. And then comes the end. Now watch what happens. All right, here's glorified Christ, resurrected. And then comes the end. And he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, and when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, we're in that war right now, and it gets more and more, as the as, as book of Revelation is telling us, as the world's close comes to an ear, and this war goes on in which all rule, authority, and power is being brought 
willingly or forcefully under submission to Jesus Christ. For Jesus, that's the he, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. All the universe, all the earth and the universe, all spiritual and human, is being brought into submission to Jesus Christ, willingly, hopefully, and if not, it will be forcefully. He must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. We, death is not our friend, but Christ has defeated it. For he has put all things, now, he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he, this is the Father, so it reads, the Father, God the Father has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. But when the Father says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that the Father is accepted who has put all things in subjection to him. Now, what he just said is the Father puts everything under Jesus' feet, but the Father isn't under Jesus' feet. Did you follow that line? The Father's the Father. The Father is the Father, and he remains the Father. And then verse 28, hang on. When all things are subjected to him, to Christ, then Jesus Christ, the Son himself, will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. The, Jesus Christ will submit himself to the Father who subjected all things to him so that God the Father may be all in all. Christ never ceases to become the divine Son of God, but even in that relationship of, of the Father and the Son, the, the Son honors the Father in his glorified state in eternity. If our Lord submits, we do too. If you and I don't like submission, boy, we've got a long time to learn. But we will learn. What we'll learn is trust. See, I think the key to this submission thing Oh, some of it's raw pride where you, some people just figure they're so smart they don't need anything else, but life has a way of telling you you're not. But I think the biggest thing for a lot of us is trust. How, dare, how can I trust anyone to give them that kind of authority and control in my life without them damaging me or exploiting me or, re, or rejecting me? Isn't that the world? I mean, who do you dare trust like that in the world? Virtually no one to that degree. See, this is where you have to stop thinking human. We're not talking about human. We're submitting to God who is perfectly holy, meaning he is absolute love, which is unmarred by selfishness, cruelty, impurity. It's, none of it's there. No shadow in him at all. He is perfectly good and holy. So when you trust him, he will never do anything to you that isn't perfectly loving and right. He's the one you can trust beyond all things. Amen? One more passage just, uh, just to show you that. I have another one in which in Hebrews, and I'll just tell you what it is. It's where Christ is standing even now in his glorified state serving you, washing your feet. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding constantly with, uh, with, with the Father as the devil accuses you. He is ministering to you and on your behalf, even now in his glorified state, here is a servant as it were with a towel around his waist, washing the sins that keep getting splashed on you before the Father. It, haven't we got a glorious Lord? Aren't you glad that you're, you and I are becoming like him? Hallelujah. Amen. Will all believers be given crowns? Yes. 
From the beginning, God intended for humans to extend his authority over all living things. And I give you references. Read it if you think I made that up. Turn with me to Daniel 7. And then I'm, then I'm going to just roll. But I'll, I want you to see this because it's so strong. Well, well, there's three verses I want you to see. Daniel 7, verse 18. Daniel is having the, uh, the angel explain to him uh, what he's seeing talking about this last terrible empire of the Antichrist, uh, the four beasts. and uh, then, But he, it says here the, in verse 18, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. It doesn't say the highest one or the son of man, for he, though he has been given dominion there in verse 14. So ultimately, all dominion is his. But surprisingly, we come across this statement about people. The saints will receive the kingdom and possess it. Verse 22. Until I, he said, Daniel says, I kept looking at the, uh, that the horn, that's the Antichrist, was waging war with the saints and, and overpowering them. That's the tribulation. Until the Ancient of Days came... And judgment was passed, and he handed the scroll to the one who was worthy in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived, listen, when the saints took possession of the kingdom. And then verse 27. And then you say, well, maybe that means they just get to get in it. Now watch verse 27. That is absolutely unavoidable. Then the sovereignty, the dominion. And the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and the dominions will serve and obey him. Now, I'm going to just read to you in kind of a, a rapid fire fashion. Listen to these. I want this to accumulate. I did not haul this out of the air. Matthew 19:27 says, you who have followed me in the regeneration, Jesus speaking to his disciples, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall also sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew 25, 21. You were faithful. You, this is that parable of the talents. And the statement is made, you who were faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. And the parable is clearly talking about when the master returns from his long journey and comes back and evaluates the situation. It's the return of Christ. And at his return, those who were faithful in a few things will be made master over much in the age to come. It's not just talk. What we're doing here translates into what we will do in the age to come. You are being trained for heaven now. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse 3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? Revelation 1, 6, And he has made us to be a kingdom. Kingdom means we extend authority. Priests means we lead in worship to his God and Father. Revelation 2, 26 and 27. He who overcomes to him, I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as I also received authority from my father. Revelation three twenty one, I will grant to him the overcomer 
to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I mean, imagine that. Those who overcome and walk faithfully with the Lord to the end will sit on the throne of Jesus Christ with him just as he has sat with the Father on his throne. I mean, I didn't make this up. It's stunning. Revelation 5.10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Us. Revelation 20 verse 4. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them. And judgment was given to them. This is the resurrected, uh, first resurrection. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the millennium, and we haven't gotten there yet. But boy, do I have some things to say about that. Revelation 20, verse 6. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. I believe that's literal. You're going to rule and reign with Christ. You are going to be part of his government. You say, well, if there's no sin, what, how would I reign? Well, first of all, the, the millennium is an interesting time, but I believe it goes beyond that. Is it possible to extend his government when you're not combating sin? I, I heard, um, I heard a, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush make a quote from one of the founding fathers, and I don't remember who it was, but they said simply, if, if men were angels, we'd need no government. And the thought is, if the government really is simply a matter of checking sin, the sinful tendencies of human being, and if you don't have sinful tendency, ten, tendencies, then you don't need government. I challenge that. I wonder if government can't simply extend the love and the goodness of God without having to check evil. Imagine governing where you're not dealing with evil. You're dealing only with good. How are we being prepared for this role? Humans are essentially spiritual beings interacting with the physical world through our bodies. You are a spirit. You don't have one. You are one. I'm talking to your spirit now. It's your spirit that's listening to me. Your, your spirit is your, is your emotions, your will. Your, your, God has made you in his image. He has emotions. He has a will. He has, he has uh, uh, all of those, those qualities of, of personality and personhood, and you have them because he made you like him. The maturity and Christ-like qualities we develop in this life will not be lost at death. The hard lessons you go through, sometimes you think, it took me a whole lifetime to get those areas worked out in my life and now I'm so old it doesn't matter. I mean, if you haven't said it, I have. It's like, well, I'm finally learned, but man, I'm so old, who cares? <laughs> and yet, it does matter. That's the point of it. That's totally wrong thinking. It doesn't end here, and it doesn't end at death. Amen. What's been planted in you, the character in you, the love in you, the maturity in you, the grace that gets put in you, the wisdom and strength and courage and boldness, the things that are being put in you now, don't stop at death. You go right on through. You're being prepared for your role in the service and government of God in eternity. And no, we don't know exactly all that means, but man, if his word, his word is true, it's been true on everything else, and it means there's something remarkable ahead. 
This life is a training ground for the next. The lessons learned here aren't forgotten there. The mercy, patience, wisdom, boldness, and love aren't lost when we die. In this life, we are tested. How will we handle the authority we're given? We are subjected to trials. Does pain drive us closer to Christ or farther away from him? Old Testament examples are, 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 let me just, I'm going to try to just, this is very speculative, and I admit it up front, but I want to just kind of guess at who's sitting on those thrones for a minute. Let's reflect on the lives of some of those who might be among the 24 elders. What prepared them? That's where I want to go. Moses and Elijah, we said, we could, we could just take those two. I mean, they came to counsel Jesus concerning his transfiguration and the cross ahead of him. I mean, if those two aren't on the throne, I don't know who's going to be. And so we could, we could pick those and be sure of it. But I, here's a few others that I would, if I were going to, if it's a, a fantasy throne thing, you know, like the fantasy football or whatever. <laughs> Who would I pick to put on those thrones? Well, Abraham, I think, would make it, wouldn't you? Now, I'll listen, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's not a Sarah or a Deborah also on the throne, by the way. And I'm not just being friendly. There's no, those things have passed away. The, the, the gender dishes, issues. So it's going to be really, really, really righteous people that are going to be sitting on those thrones. Joseph, wouldn't he be there? I mean, man, if I, anybody I'd like up there governing, uh, you know, or, or, or somehow helping me extend the, the, the rule of God, I'd love to have Joseph there. Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Daniel, Jeremiah. He might moan and groan a bit, but he's a really good... <laughs> But those of us who've been depressives would really be grateful to see him there. <laughs> yeah. Isaiah. Oh, yeah. Isaiah. I mean, think of the, the, the people who are there. Now, how do you think they got prepared for that throne and that crown that they wear? Now, of course, we know that they all had easy lives. That, that, that because they walked with God, there really were no problems or difficulties or challenges. They just kind of went right on through. Because, you know, when it's God, it's always easy. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, you stop and think about it. They had horrible lives for the most part and, and hung on to Jesus and didn't, didn't deny him. But they grew in righteousness and they grew in faith. Moses, who started out just literally being downright rebellious when God asked him to, to take the call, f doing foolish things. He said became the meek, he became meekest man on earth and he would lie on his belly in that little tent and the glory would come to the door and he talked with God as one man talks with another what an amazing thing you could, I, I used to have such a, a, a fundamental dislike of Moses I admit, and then I, went through, then I went through Exodus and I saw his life and I saw what a foolish attitude I had toward him. What a great man he was. A humble man and a, and a man who led in horrible situations. And yet he were, didn't fail his assignment. Got a little grumpy at the end. But there he is counseling Jesus. What I'm saying is, how many of you have painful difficult things, have learned lessons the hard way, have gone through lots of difficulties learning to love, learning to forgive, learning to be patient, 
right? These have come hard. Some of these are, are bitterly learned lessons. And you have, you've grown deeper and wiser and more peaceful. You don't react like you used to react. You don't handle things the way you used to handle. You don't treat people the way you used to treat people. You're different now. And sometimes you can come to the, toward the end of your life and you say, look at this, I'm finally, I'm finally loving. I'm finally peaceful. I finally can, can handle life. I look back at my young years, you know, and I was so belligerent and so angry and so, so short-fused and foolish in the way I did things. But now I'm so old. What does it matter? It matters enormously. What, who you are will not change at death. Except the flesh falls away. You, that's the good news and the bad news. Now imagine someone who's not turned to the Lord, not walked with him, who's full of bitterness and hatefulness. They die. They look down. There's their body on the ground and they're still the same selfish, nasty person they were. That's called hell. Forever. You're a spirit. Spirits don't die. Your body falls off. That's all. That's the problem. It's the good news and the bad news. The horrible news is people who in those horrible situations kill themselves, their body falls away and they're still in agony. What a joke. The devil laughs. But the lessons learned, the Christ-likeness, the goodness, the depth, the maturity that's put in you, the body falls off and you're still a gentle, wise Godly man or woman. God's prepared you for rulership in the, in the things you've suffered in this life. How does the truth in, that we will reign in Christ, one last point, change our perspective? I just want you to see a couple of verses. Would you turn with me? To, oh, yeah, you do have Bibles now. You don't have the... <laughs> James. Hebrews James. It's right after Hebrews. James chapter 1. Now, with this perspective in mind, listen to James' words with fresh ears. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, come to full fruit or flower like a, like a full rose that's opened up so that you may be perfect, meaning fully developed and mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And then let your eye go down to verse 12. Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What are you going to wear? Yeah, for those who love him. You're being approved. You're being tested. You're being worked in right now that God may put on your head the crown of life for you have a destiny. Life begins in the next world. That's where eternal life begins. We're in a testing zone. We're in a learning time. We're in a world filled with sin and trouble and sorrow. And yet Christ has come and brought his glorious grace into this. And yet we're really being prepared for heaven. One more passage and I'm done. 1 Peter 5.
verse 1. Again, just with this perspective, let, let these words kind of come to light. Therefore, says Peter, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. And watch how he tells them to exercise their authority. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Throw your crown at his feet. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Don't do it for money. Do it because you love the Lord. Nor yet lording it over those allotted to your charge. Take your crown off and throw it at his feet. Providing, but proving to be examples to the flock. Loving them and serving them with your authority. And when the chief shepherd, the one to whom the crown really belongs, appears, you will receive the unfading what? Crown of glory. You younger men, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Notice that? Submission and humility. For God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble and always will. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Will he exalt you? You know, I don't, it doesn't matter what this life brings you. It doesn't matter. You will be exalted beyond your imagination. This isn't flattery. This isn't ego stuff. You won't need it there. You'll be perfectly whole inside. This has nothing to do with ego. It has to do with the destiny and the will of God that was thwarted when we sinned in the, and, 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 and defied him. But Christ has redeemed the original purpose of God and we will fulfill it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober of spirit, on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that from the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And here it comes. After you've suffered for a little while here on this earth, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion as, as he throws his crown. One more time. Forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.